HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eating Matters. I'm your host, Kim Kessler, and we are broadcasting live from Brooklyn on Heritage Radio Network. I am joined today by my assistant producer, Talia Rolf, who's going to be co-hosting with me. And today's topic is food policy and politics for the Navajo Nation. We're going to hear about a partnership between Navajo Nation food advocates and Harvard Law students that's aimed at addressing health and food sovereignty challenges how the two partners came together, and what their hope, what they hope their impact will be. So let me welcome today's guests. We are joined today by Sonlasta Jim Martin, the REACH Program Manager for the COPE Project of the Navajo Nation, and Ona Bacchus, a clinical fellow at the Harvard Food Law and Policy Clinic. Hi to you both. Hi, thanks for having us. And can yeah, you... Hey, hello. Great. And can you let me know where you're calling in from? Sure. So this is Ona. I am calling in from Cambridge, Massachusetts. And how about you, Sunlatsa? This is Sunlatsa, and I'm calling actually from the um, National Indian Health Board National Public Health Summit, and we are um, participating in a conference in Palm Springs, California. Well, we're glad to have you connecting with us all the way here in Brooklyn. Sunlatsa, it sounds like your uh, volume is a little low. So next time we hear from you, we'd love to see if we can hear it a little bit louder. Um, And I actually want to start with hearing from you. So first, what can you tell us generally what the COPE project is about and your, your role with it and what the current food and health landscape is of the Navajo Nation? Well, the COPE Project is a nonprofit Native American organization that is based out of Gallup, New Mexico, and we are a sister organization with the um, national organization Partners in Health, 
we have been in the Gallup area for the last five years, um, serving the entire Navajo Nation community, which um, covers the parts of the state of Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. So um, with the COPE project, we were recently awarded a REACH grant from the CDC, and our main um, areas of focus is on um, access to healthier foods on the Navajo Nation and building um, partnerships and collaboration with um, the community as well as um, clinics on the Navajo Nation. And, and when you as say... As far as the... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go what, ahead. I was going to ask when you say clinics, what, what kind of clinics you mean and then, yeah, what some of the underlying issues were that you're attempting to address with the CDC grant. Well, right now, because of the ruralness of our Navajo Nation reservation, um, access to health care is very limited, and so we really um, emphasize through the COPE project a strong um, partnership and collaboration with our community health workers. Um, these are like our public health nurses, our assistant health nurses that are out there in the um, rural communities working with our um, Navajo families and um, they, in turn, um, work closely with uh, clinics or hospitals that are um, serving those areas. Um, it's, it's definitely a more community-based approach um, instead of, you know, expecting our Navajo people to um, get to the hospital long distances. It's where we have our community health workers, which we call our CHRs, um, going out to the families who um, need to be checked on and working with them on their care. Um, and one of the big issues that has come up over the last few years is the need for healthier food options on the Navajo Nation. Um, when we do meet with our families out in the rural communities, um, that is one of the challenges that most comes up is that um, with their care, they do need to eat healthier. They need to have better options of nutrition sources. And unfortunately, you know, that is not as available on the Navajo Nation. So our goal through this grant is to address um, food access, especially healthier foods, and um, working with coalitions to help make this happen across the Navajo Nation. And what might like a typical shopping experience be for uh, somebody living in a rural Navajo Nation area? Well, the, the reservation is the size of the state of West Virginia. And um, you're going to have um, our Navajo people who would possibly have to drive um, over 70 miles just to get to a grocery store. Um, a lot of our rural communities usually, um, when they do get their food supply, it's um, on a monthly basis so that they can stock up on food so they don't have to drive those long distances. And then you'll also find uh, some of our communities that are in small um, little communities that only have a convenience store, and um, that's their closest option for food as well, and there's not very many options in the small convenience stores. 
I also understand that food insecurity is a significant problem with estimates of 76% of households in the Navajo Nation experiencing that. Is that yes, the, that's correct. And that's how, correct. how do folks wrestle with that as well? Well, you know, one of the, the big things is access to more nutritional foods. Um, we do have um, obesity on the Navajo Nation, obesity rates that are increasing. And one of the things that we have been um, working on and working as far as um, collaborative efforts with the clinics is how do we get more nutritious options into the food system on the Navajo Nation, Um, healthier foods that will not add to the obesity um, epidemic that we're experiencing, but how do we get more um, indigenous foods, um, native foods, um, healthier variety of nutrition, nutritious foods that are not, um, you know, the processed kinds of foods. So that really is a big part of um, the food insecurity on the Navajo Nation. So that parallels certainly a, a lot of what is discussed in many contexts across this country around our food system challenges. And that's those are issues that the Harvard Food Law and Policy Clinic has been working on as well. And Ona, I want to bring you into the conversation and hear uh, some of your thoughts as you've begun on this project and, and what makes the Navajo Nation landscape different um, and how you're translating some of the work that you've done in other places to this context. Sure, yeah, thank you. Um, I I have really just had such a steep learning curve and a really great experience working on this project. Um, and, and yeah, so our clinic works with communities um, all over the country, um, but specifically food policy councils in, in Mississippi and in Rhode Island and in the Appalachian region. And um, I think you're right that, that some of the um, challenges felt similar, you know, the um, the food deserts and lack of access to healthy foods kind of paired with food insecurity and rising rates of obesity. Um, I think the Navajo um, context is different um, in a number of ways. I mean, to, you know, what Salmata was speaking of, just the geographic vastness is something pretty unique um, to, to a community. I mean, driving, you know, 150, 160 miles round trip to get to a grocery store, um, it's, even it's even just incredible. moving perishable right. food, you know, the challenges that she spoke of, of getting to a hospital, um, going in the other direction, getting um, getting FDIPR um, drop-offs and getting um, getting food assistance to low-income communities is is really difficult um, when people are so spread out. So I think that's unique. Um, I also think uh, the. Um, the overlay of the different uh, laws that impact the food system are uniquely complex uh, because um, not only do you have the federal laws and the state laws um, that would impact anybody in a community in the U.S., but you also have um, the Navajo Nation tribal law. You have um, local laws at the um, chapter level um, within the Navajo Nation, and chapters are, are like the local governments. Um, and and you also have this overlay of um, fundamental law of the Diné people, um, which which really guides um, a lot of the way that um, they are thinking about food and their relationship to food. Um, 
and not to go on for too long, but I think, you know, speaking to that, um, I think the I've learned a lot about the fundamental law, and I still feel like I don't understand it that well, but, but it's really... Um, my impression of it is is it serves as as such a strong backbone of um, of having a spiritual relationship to food and a respect to to mother nature and to the way that food is grown and eaten and um, I think that's actually a huge advantage for working in food policy and in Navajo Nation and that um, a lot of um, ideas that maybe in other parts of the U.S. are are kind of new or trendy, you know, like the idea of mindful eating or the idea of eating closer to the land. Like those aren't trendy things; those are part of of their tradition um, in Navajo Nation, and I think that's that's a huge strength. So, uh, Selnasta, I'd love to hear from you on that. One thing that came up in uh, Ona's remarks is the idea of food production. And you mentioned an interest in having more indigenous food products and local food products more widely available. What does food production look like? Uh, and how, how widespread is it? And what are the outlets for food that is produced? Well, right now, um, the Navajo Nation is very dependent on you know, outside um, programs and federal programs, as well as, um, you know, the, the national food system. And that definitely has affected our, um, our historical um, traditional forms of food and how um, we managed our own food system, um, you know, prior to a lot of this um, introduction of outside foods. Um, so right now, um, we, we do have um, a lot of the food system being, being managed on the Navajo Nation by um, federal programs as well as, you know, corporations that um, are bringing food, food into the supply chain. Um, we do have a lot of um, small, you know, convenience stores and um, trading posts that bring in food. So in terms of, you know, actual production, um, I think we're just starting to turn around and, and revive a lot of that for our Navajo people, not only from a business sense and getting some of our agricultural programs um, going and serving more of our Navajo communities, as well as providing um, uh, economic um, resource to the Navajo people. But I think what's happening now is a lot of discussion around food sovereignty for the Navajo people and how, um, as a sovereign government, as a sovereign um, entity, we can um, begin to control more of our food production on the Navajo Nation and have more of a, a say as far as what kinds of foods we want to have um, coming into the Navajo Nation or being produced on the Navajo Nation. Um, that has been something that has happened in the last few years um, from a lot of tribal advocates, but um, now we have a lot of programs that are taking this seriously and and I'm looking at ways to reintroduce traditional um, indigenous foods into the, the food supply. Ona, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how you've shaped some of your recommendations in light of the situation and maybe highlight some of the ones that um, you're most excited about, both of you. But um, I'd love to hear more about the details of the recommendations. 
Sure. Yeah. So it's been a it's been a long process um, to to come up with the recommendations, and um, you know, just to give you a little background on that, we we um, turned in a working draft to the Reach Coalition, the Food Coalition that's on lots of leads back in um, December, and and over several months had um, phone calls that um, the coalition members um, gave us specific feedback on kind of each section of our our toolkit, and then we hosted um, members of the coalition in February up here in Boston and did like an intensive feedback session for three days. Um, so kind of given that back and forth, um, that's really how we've developed uh, the recommendations we're making. And um, I think I would th- there are a lot. It's a, it's a long document, but, um, you know, I guess to, to speaking to what Salmasa was talking about with food sovereignty, we... Um, we have several recommendations um, trying to build more food sovereignty on the reserva- on the reservation, like um, making SNAP administration something that the Navajo government does rather than the state governments, which is which is the current situation. Um, having the Navajo government develop its own food safety certification, so that um, specifically for for producers, so that um, so that. Uh, Navajo farmers who are producing food on on um, Navajo Nation don't have to use like the USDA voluntary guidelines for food production that might not make sense for a small farm um, on that terrain. Um, the chapter houses on the local level have have an interesting um, structure called community-based land use plans, and they can build into those considerations such as reserving space in their community for community gardens, reserving space for um, processing facilities, so, um, you know, like washing or chopping produce so that it can be easily used uh, in lots of different settings. So that's just just a few of our recommendations. Great. So we're going to take a short break and then come back, and I'd love to hear more about how the coalition came together and what uh, implementation of some of these ideas might look like. We'll be back in a few minutes. You are listening to Wild Hearts by Remy De La Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. We are still 
And we're back on Eating Matters. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation about a food policy partnership and collaboration between the Navajo Nation and food advocates there and the uh, Harvard Food Law and Policy Clinic. So I, I wanted to turn back to Sanasta and hear from you, Sanasta, how the work around food advocacy began and who has been part of that conversation and who are the members of your coalition now? Okay, well, um, about two years ago, we did have um, um, the Navajo Nation um, Division of Health who initiated some small um, summits to discuss food and nutrition on the Navajo Nation. Um, They had various programs um, from the Navajo Nation that came together with their partners um, from the communities who attended this um, food summit. From there, that's where COPE was invited as one of the partners to um, participate and share their ideas and recommendations about food and nutrition issues on the Navajo Nation. From there, it led to a second summit where um, the Navajo Nation hosted a large-scale food and nutrition conference. And again, it was hosted by the the Navajo Nation Division of Health. And at that time, Pope was a very active partner. They um, were facilitators for each of the sessions. And a lot of the topics that were on the agenda were specifically in the areas that we um, have covered in the toolkit that we've developed um, with the Harvard team. We did have um, participants from Harvard come down and attend that second day, and um, they took a lot of information from those sessions, and there were a lot of stakeholders who attended that second summit. Um, We had some grassroots community activists who attended, all the way to tribal programs, tribal leaders, tribal council delegates. Um, At the time, we also had the vice president of the Navajo Nation, um, the Honorable Rex Lee Jim, who attended and, and led a lot of the discussions. And from there, um, the stakeholders um, wanted to continue to pursue getting these resources together and coming um, together to help the Navajo people understand the food system on the Navajo Nation and how they can be a part of changing um, that through advocacy. So um, with um, the REACH grant, we were able to meet with the Harvard team and start finalizing the draft of the toolkit. And many of our coalition partners have been a part of the um, meetings and the phone calls. They've been interviewed. They've provided their feedback and recommendations. So it has been um, a long process of of community engagement and meetings with our stakeholders, but I think it's made the toolkit even that much more valuable because we've taken the time to get their input. So now we have our our food coalition that meets um, once a month, and then we all participate in various... um, events and, and activities on the Navajo Nation and even nationally with other tribal programs and 
meet with federal organizations and agencies to advocate on behalf of the Navajo Nation. And now what stage is the, the toolkit at? Because I know that it hasn't been disseminated yet. So is it um, close to ready to go? And what do you see as the, the next steps in moving the recommendations forward? That's to both of you, I, I guess. A, is Ona can answer that. Sure, yeah. So, um, so we're working on uh, addressing the edits that we got from the coalition members in February now, and, and uh, we are close to finished and are actually have purchased tickets to go um, to Navajo Nation for a launch of the toolkit in early May, so it will be done by then. Um, and, <laughs> and hopefully <tickets>. before. <laughs> Deadline maker. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think... You know, the, the hope is that this the toolkit will be um, a really great resource predominantly for, for Navajo food advocates. Um, and um, but, but, you know, we also hope that policymakers, both on the tribal level but also state and federal law um, policymakers, will be able to um, read it and use it as a resource for, you know, better understanding the challenges and opportunities um, for changing food policy. Uh, on Navajo Nation. And what are the biggest barriers that you anticipate? Because we know, you know, in terms of ideas around how to restructure the food system, there are many and many good ones. And there's always different kinds of barriers, whether they're political, whether they're funding, whether they have to do with coordination of the multifaceted types of stakeholders needed. What do you see here as the main obstacles to some of your highest priority uh, goals with this? Sure. I mean, I I would be interested to hear what Solnata's answer to that is too, um, because I think she'll be, um, you know, really leading the on the ground distribution of these materials. And um, you know, my impression is that um, that that there will be a lot of education. Um, I don't think I think a lot of people aren't aren't aware of you know specifically what are the policies that are that are leading to the food environment they're in now. And um, so, so building coalitions, um, building kind of advocacy movements within the nation, um, I think will be, will be a huge, I wouldn't call it a barrier, but definitely a huge challenge. Um, but, you know, part of the toolkit we hope is to educate people on that, that laws are something that are changeable, that they're something that, um, you know, reflect, should reflect your society's common values, and if they don't, then that, you know, means the laws can be changed and giving people the tools to do that. Um, in terms of, of other challenges, yeah, I think, um, you know, you referenced funding. Many of our recommendations are not going to be free. Uh, you know, it's, it's more support, it's more training, it's more... Um, resources for for Navajo producers of food, for distributors of food, for um, the retailers, for the consumers. So um, so I think I think funding will definitely be a big challenge. And then I mean I think too a lot of the problems um, with the food system in Navajo Nation are ones that go back um, many generations. So um, you know for example um, the like overgrazing of lands and degradation of soil is something that is a result of a federal law from a hundred years ago that that um, requires permits for grazing land on Navajo Nation. So you know how do we um, give manageable recommendations that are some or you know are things that people can really feel like they can wrap their heads around and start pushing for today while also acknowledging there are some really big problems here too that um, 
it's taken a while to create these problems and it's going to take a while to um, address them. So, Lesta, are there things that you are looking at uh, that where you've had successful advocacy efforts, whether it's in other areas of health or broader areas that will be models for you in terms of inspiring your stakeholders or um, seeing a path for making change? Yeah, I think um, there are there are um, a lot of the coalition partners that are working with us have some success stories in the various areas that they um, work in. Um, there, there's those who are advocating for um, water rights and um, you know, preservation of water on the Navajo Nation. Um, they've they've taken you know those approaches to um, getting policy passed and we're you know using a lot of their recommendations and their partnership to help us um, with our policy advocacy um, there's also um, a, a lot of movement on the Navajo Nation in using our sovereignty as a tribal entity to um, determine our own um, laws and our own policies and not um, feeling like we have to, you know, use federal law or um, state laws that we can advocate for our own um, indigenous laws and use that to help set up a better system. And so there are other coalition members that are doing that, and we're we're using their successes as well to help us. Um, and when you say that, I have there been that, parts of the conversation either within your own coalition or with Harvard that have been harder harder conversations to have or times when there have been assumptions about broader ideals within the food movement that haven't fit in with what your goals are, what you're talking about? Um, not so much with, with um, the Harvard group, but I think it's just in general um, – there is, you know, not enough um, information out there about um, the sovereignty status of tribal governments and tribal people. I think there's also, again, back to what Ona was sharing earlier, this connection that we have with food um, is a part of our fundamental laws on, as Navajo people. It's a part of our, our spiritual wellness and um, it is a customary law or a common law that is built into our teachings about the earth and our relationship with um, food and water. So I think that in itself is at times more difficult to um, get people to understand because um, many of the laws um, that we are going by, either under the federal or state laws, you know, those are not laws that were um, built around that concept. And so a lot of educating and advocacy um, back to um, our relationship with um, our, our food and the sacredness of the land is something that I think is one of those challenging areas that we have to constantly um, teach um, some of the partners or organizations because it's not the framework that they've built their systems on. Right. And I'd love to hear from each of you before we wrap up uh, your own experience in becoming interested in food and food work. So, uh, Sunlasta, we'll start with you. 
Well, my grandmother is 91 years old, and um, she's the matriarch of our family, and she's the reason I am a traditional Navajo woman, and I do speak my Navajo language. Um, I do um, practice um, our teachings and um, have really taught those to my own children. Um, but my grandmother was uh, an herbalist and knew all the plants um, out there and taught us from a long, um, very young age the meaning, the meaning of various plants and what they were used for. Um, and she was also um, a, a gardener or a farmer. She um, always was excited during planting season to have our family and our, our relatives come together to plant together and to um, harvest together. So because of her and what she taught me, I continue that and I, I, I am love to garden, I love to grow food and, and um, <clears throat> have that sacred relationship with our food. So for me, it, it's, it's very personal because of, of what my grandmother taught me and I think those are some of the knowledge areas that we're losing for many of our young people and our families because our, our elders who have that knowledge um, have not been able to document it. And so it's very important to me personally. Right. So like many people starting at the family table for you. Ona, how about, how about you? Yeah, I share with some lots of it. Um, it was also my, my grandmother who got me started. She was um, a wonderful Lithuanian cook and served very healthful food um, to me and my family. And uh, after college, I, I had gotten the love of cooking from her, and I um, did an AmeriCorps program where I, um, through Share Our Strengths, where I coordinated um, cooking-based nutrition programs in Washington, D.C. for low-income communities. and. That was a really interesting year for me because I think um, it highlighted for me that I thought that was kind of the best nutrition education platform out there, and it still felt like uh, the participants in the classes I was teaching, there were just so, such bigger issues, there were such bigger systemic problems with the food system that they were facing that education alone wasn't going to be able to fix. Um, so I uh, got really passionate about the idea of policy and ended up in law school and um, the food clinic here where I now work as a student, I was able to uh, start working with the Mississippi Food Policy Council as a student and I fell in love with this idea of, um, you know, the democratic um, structure of, of food policy councils combined with um, really helping people make a difference in their food systems and I convinced them to let me stay and here I am as a, <laughs> as a lawyer in the program. Great. Well, that is Ona Bacchus, a clinical fellow at the Harvard Food Law and Policy Clinic, and Sanlasta Jim Martin, the REACH program manager of the COPE project of the Navajo Nation. And I want to thank you both for joining us today. I want to wish you the best with your important work and the next steps of your unique uh, in collaboration. And I want to thank everyone involved in helping make this episode of Eating Matters happen. So that's uh, Liz Smith, our engineer, Talia Rolf, our assistant producer, who's here with me today. Thanks, Talia. Thanks, Kim. Uh, and a thank you to my husband, Tim Archer, for our show music. The show is available as a podcast at iTunes and Stitcher and here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Kim Kessler, and thanks for joining.
Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.